uh, series out of the book of Proverbs. And I was looking over my notes, and I really, I've done a few messages out of Proverbs, but I've never done a, a series out of it since I've been here as pastor. And uh, that's in the nine years already, almost coming up. So uh, in March, um, it'd be about nine years that I've been preaching regularly here. And I was looking at the book of Proverbs because it's one of those books I find myself always going back to, you know. And as someone put it, it's, it's set up really to go daily to the book of Proverbs and read a chapter, right? You have 31 uh, chapters and, you know, throughout the course of a month, if you hit one every day, you'll pretty much always be in, you know, real, rotating back through. And the book of Proverbs is filled with these little um, practical sayings and they're short sayings. That's what the word proverba means or short sayings that are filled with all kinds of wisdom and knowledge of you know, like I said, practical things in the context of life and spiritual life. Um, and people often go to the Proverbs and look for advice and, and how to deal, thing, deal with things. And honestly, I think if we stayed in the book of Proverbs more, well, probably our lives would reflect it in that way. And <clears throat> I want to look tonight at uh, the beginning of this. And again, um, the, the book of Proverbs resounds with a lot of people and there are verses found in the book of Proverbs that uh, you can relate to even, you know, thousands of years removed from the time when Solomon wrote them, right? Uh, I mean, what, what man can't relate to Proverbs 21.9? Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman, right? Uh, or how about it says it twice? I think Solomon had a theme there. But a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Uh, and we read those and, yeah, I'm getting the yellow... Well, I'm, I'm starting a series. You've got to just understand where this is going. Now, I, I will be fair, because it also, what woman hasn't read the book of Proverbs and come across verses like this? He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or how about this one? Most men will proclaim each other's, his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man, right? And the book of Proverbs really just tells it how it is. I think we can relate to those kind of verses sometimes. And if, you know, I, I can't relate to the woman part. I won't even begin to say that. But anyways, but I, I just say this, that there are those little things sometimes that resound with us because we have gone through various experiences in life and we say, oh, hey, that verse makes sense. And there are lots of other verses as we go through it. Um, if you were to look through various things um, in, you know, throughout the book of Proverbs as well, you have just very clear, simple instructions about how to follow the Lord. And how to conduct your life. And so we're going to look at some things. And tonight I thought about starting on the first topic. And there's so many different topics we could go on. But was is the training up of children. And I think that's ever important. And we're looking in a world today that I'm living in. That we see uh, so much of that in a, in a failed sense. right? Uh, and people are saying what's going on with the younger generation. And, and I'm not talking necessarily to the ones that are here tonight. And I thank the Lord for you kids that are here and your families uh, and others. But there, there's a whole generation that seems to be just raising itself. And it's not coming out very well. Let's be real about it. You know, the, my son-in-law's truck getting stolen. He knows who it is. It's a neighbor. And the father of the neighbor says, yeah, I haven't seen my son for a long time. And he does this, you know. And it's like, well, you know, you should chase your son down probably now it's still too late he's an adult and he's doing that kind of stuff but would you want to live like with a neighbor that does that because it affects his neighbor relationship right and those kind of things but anyways 
there's really a principle, and it was the title of the message. If you looked at it, uh, I guess I didn't put the title in there, but in Proverbs 1, and it's the bent twig principle, all right? The bent twig principle. Uh, Alexander Pope said this, "'Tis education forms the common mind, just as the twig is bent, the trees inclined." And a little kind of quip there to speak about how to shape the mind. And it's just like a a tree that can be bent. And where it's bent, it will head in that direction. Or at least it has that direction for a time being. And I I was thinking about that because if you looked at the weather forecast in the next couple days, they're talking about freezing rain. And uh, we, depending on what model plays out, uh, we may end up with about half an inch of freezing rain in this area and down towards Holton, more close to like an inch of freezing rain, which is pretty significant. And then you get a little wind after that and the trees come down and those kind of things. But I remember as a kid, and I don't know exactly what year it was, uh, maybe late 70s, early 80s, there was an ice storm up in the valley here. And uh, I remember it because I remember getting on the school bus the day after and we were headed to school and you looked out the window and you saw a scene like this. All the birch trees, in particular the little white birch trees, were all bent over. And they were just, there was like 20 miles of that. Every tree was bent over. And it was interesting because some of them, the next year, when, of course, that all melted out, they grew and they sprung back a little bit. But a lot of them, like for years later, you could walk through the woods or whatever, and you'd come across trees like this. It had a bend in it, right? And then it kind of took off, went the right direction. And then some were just dead. They just cracked and broke and that kind of thing. And I was thinking about that because, really, we have, here in the book of Proverbs and throughout the Bible, we have this uh, marvelous tool to really shape the minds of others and and sort of bend the twig, if you want to say. Hopefully bending it in the right direction. You know, our natural bent is like that tree going like this, right? Really, it's like this. And then we need to be bent this way, towards heaven, towards the Lord. And that takes work, and it takes instruction, and it takes the knowledge of God and if one generation fails to pass that on or demonstrate it even it really affects the next generation greatly and sadly much in our country that's happening I think as we get further and further away from the knowledge of God well let's read here in Proverbs chapter 1 and uh, I I think I'll read down through these 19 verses and then we'll come back to them the Proverbs of Solomon the son of David king of israel to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding to receive the instruction of wisdom justice judgment and equity now it's interesting those are all words we're using in today's vocabulary aren't they wisdom justice judgment equity those are words all the time used but they're not coupled with the knowledge of god and they are destined to fail in man's destiny by the way just if we only do those things there will not be justice if you don't know who god is Uh, or judgment or equity anyways to give prudence to the simple to the young man knowledge and discretion a wise man will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma the words of the wise and their riddles the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction my son hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely, in vain, the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Lord, we are grateful for your word. As we open up this book, the book of wisdom, book of Proverbs, Teach us, Lord. Help us to cling to some of these things. Put them into our lives and raise our children and and those we have influence on, Lord, in in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus on those verses, sort of, we got into about verse 7. This is actually sort of the theme verse for the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And one of the things you'll find here is um, the book of Proverbs has these little couplets or parallelisms, they call them in Hebrew, where they either say something similar in different form, uh, two things, like two positive things, and they're just said slightly differently, or they contrast two very opposite things. And many of the verses, you read down through them, they're just like that. They're couplets of sayings. In this one, it talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and that would obviously be the wise person. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And you see the contrast, the two paths that people take. One toward God and in the knowledge of God and one away from God. One is called wise, one is called the fool. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8. Solomon here who's writing these things, he goes on to say, My son. And he's speaking and writing as if he is writing to his son. And Some have said, is that metaphoric, uh, or was it something he wrote to one of his sons? And it very well probably could be both. I think in the sense that Solomon is writing Proverbs that every son can enjoy and understand, and every father can also understand, and mothers can understand, and people in general. And he's also probably writing to a very specific person. He says, my son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. In other words, listen to your parents. And he says, For they will be graceful ornaments on your head and chains about your neck. And my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I want to kind of break out here from just not only in this chapter, but look at uh, some of the principles that are found here in the book of Proverbs. And it's this idea that, number one, children must be taught. When Solomon writes here, he's talking about instruction given to the next generation, to his son. And the bent twig principle, number one, is that the twig or the child needs to be taught. And otherwise, you just don't, there's no aim, there's no direction. And if you have no, you don't aim at anything, you hit it every time, right? <laughs> That's the, the, the principle of uh, no goal or anything like that. And so you have children must be taught. And as a like a child, like a young sapling or a tree that still you know, can bend and all that, there's an opportunity to shape the direction in which that sapling can grow. And honestly, if you don't uh, help that growth, the world will press on it and it will 
bend down and go down and down spiritually. And that's the way it is. And I really believe that we uh, all have some scope and influence on the next generation that follows us. Even young children. Uh, I, I would say this, that uh, there's nothing greater than when you have a younger like sibling, a brother or sister, and you, even as a child, help that younger sibling. I remember Laura, years ago, when she sat down, she's our oldest, she sat down with her little brother Sam, and she shared the gospel with Sam, and he believed, and he trusted Jesus. And they both came out, and they were all excited, said that he had trusted Jesus, and he went on to explain the gospel as clear as I've ever heard it. And I thought, his sister, who was maybe six at the time, and he was four, explained the gospel to him. And I thought, wow, someone sharing the gospel with her generation, I guess. But, you know, look with someone younger than them. We all have that opportunity. I saw little Ian running around today. My wife mentioned that he had a, little, he had a new Bible. He got a Bible for Christmas, and his sister Aspen got him a Bible. And he was as proud as ever to have his own Bible. He, I won't let you know, but he, he can't read it fully yet. But he understands that that's an important book because he's seen it. And now he has it. And I'll say this, amen. We need to be doing that. And our children, our grandchildren, uh, those around us, we have a great scope of influence on them. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's the principle anyways, is that if you instill those things in a child, when he grows old, those things are still with him. And how we need that. The Bible has a lot to say about teaching the next generation. In the book of Deuteronomy, there are a number of verses. The book of Deuteronomy means repetition. The Deuteronomy means repetition. And it's interesting. It's a repetition of the things that God, the important things that God instructed Moses in, who instructed the people of Israel. And then by essence, he instructs us tonight. The Lord does using the book of Deuteronomy. But I, I love the these just simple sayings, but they're commands. They're not just pieces of advice but actually commandments that people were to follow and i think they're pertinent to all believers everywhere deuteronomy 4 9 says only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself in other words you mind your own spiritual self that's your important number one goal is make sure you keep your own spiritual health healthy because if you don't, you're not going to help anybody else. And my friends, only you can take yourself out of the will of God. And I mean that. You can, by decision, walk away from the Lord or turn your back on Him, those kind of things. Only you can do that. Not, not other things or other people. Or other, it's only you and me. That's, we, we make those decisions. And the Bible says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. But then He says, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless you depart. Or they depart from your heart all the days of your life. There is this terrible problem that can arise if we do not guard our hearts and teach ourselves things. Is that we can depart from those things later on and forget. But then he goes on to say this. And teach them to your, grand, your children and your grandchildren. So there was a, not only responsibility to teach yourself. But also to teach those behind you. Those coming up behind you. Your children, your grandchildren. Very, very important. The word to teach, by the way, in this uh, 
chapter 4, verse 9 of that, it's the uh, Hebrew word yada, and it means to know, to notice, to hear of, to learn, and to reveal. And it has an idea of teaching something by example. How can you teach something by example if you yourself aren't doing it? That's why that verse, chapter 4, verse 9, says take heed to yourself, but then teach others, right? That's the principle. And then in chapter 6, there's another repetition very similar to this. And in this is the, uh, the Jewish prayer, which often they recite this. Um, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's a rehearsal, first of all, of who God is and his essence, his divinity, his power. He's the covenant God, the word Lord there, Yahweh. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Every now and again, you need to stop. I say every now and again and every day. You ought to stop and say, how's my heart today? How's my heart? I guarantee you, if you had a little, a little chest pain going on and you know, some crushing chest pain, something was going on, you were a shorter breath, and you'd say, I'm going to have this checked out. Something's wrong with my heart. But sometimes spiritually, something goes wrong with our heart, and we don't even want to check it. Guard your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. How's the love doing in your, in your heart? With all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in where? Your heart. In your heart. See, God has always been concerned about our hearts. Not, not that cardiac muscle, but the, the inner us, the real us. The, he wants the person on the inside to know him and to love him. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now here's, here's the, again, very similar to Deuteronomy 4. See, first you have to have a right heart if you're going to teach others and to do it effectively. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You see, that is the whole course of the day, including even when you go to bed and when you get up. I think it's very important if you have opportunity to be with uh, children and you are like a, you know, as in either a mother or father, grandfather, grandmother, or aunt and uncle, even a strange aunt or uncle, whatever, you know, you have an influence on that generation and you can say, hey, now's a good time to teach them something. Maybe just it's a, it's a little act of prayer before they go to bed. I used to pray the gospel over my kids. And when I would pray, I would rehearse that and say, Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you that you've forgiven us of our sin, all those bad things that we've done. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us of that if we just ask. And I would say something like that, and I would pray over them. And then I would pray, Lord, you keep them from evil. Because the Bible tells us we ought to pray that we're delivered from evil. And keep them from sin and sin's ways. And I would say, Lord, if you have a mate for them, please keep them from sin and evil too. And I would pray over them. And I, I tell you now, they're, they're getting old. And my youngest in the house, you know, she doesn't want dad to come pray with her. But we still pray every now and again. You know that. We do. But really, it's a course that you kind of put them on a trajectory, hopefully, in doing that. And it's not always perfect. And it's not always time. Sometimes you're doing other things. And I do regret those times where I haven't made those top priority. But I will say this, that when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're walking by the way, when you sit in your house, when you're out there talking, 
What is coming out of your mouth? What are your actions are you doing? What are you doing in your house? You know, those things are seen. My son and I were talking not long ago, and he said, Dad, you know that, uh, he said, people look right through um, someone who isn't real. You know, and we're talking about our testimony with each other. And he was just, we were talking about that and stirring each other up to live for the Lord, you know, and walk with the Lord. And I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you that my son saw that. I'm hoping, anyways. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And, and many of the Jews take that absolutely literal, and they write Bible verses and put them on the doorposts of their house. And you may see the phylacteries or the boxes that the, some even Orthodox Jews still wear today, and in there are little scrolls of texts of the Bible and the commandment and also that prayer about from Deuteronomy that we'll put in that and I don't think that's really what God intended really to just have a box with some Bible verses in it but to have that in your heart to know it to rehearse it and the word to teach by the way because he says that that you shall talk uh, to them and teach them and that's in verse 7 there you shall teach them diligently different Hebrew word for teach it's the Hebrew word tzna, and it means to repeat. So in other words, you're to repeat these things. And I found this, that when you repeat something, um, it doesn't really take that long. But if you repeat something, you actually can learn it, and it stays with you, especially when you're young. I find it harder now <laughs> to repeat something. Sometimes I repeat it and repeat it, and I don't even realize I'm repeating it, right? Um, but when we're young, our brain is forming, and, and it's bridging those little synaptic connections that are going out and it's learning these pathways to do stuff and that's how memories are formed that's how habits are formed that's how really the our direction of life often is formed through those good things like that and you learn that and it stays with you even people that have memory problems later on in life the memories that are the last to leave usually are the early memories because they're so deeply patterned in them Repeat those things. Do them over and over again. Say them over and over again. It's good to do those things. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 9, there's another word. It says, You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And it's interesting because I, I decided I was going to look up all these words today just to see what they, if they were the same word. And this one's a different word to teach. And it's the word, the verb form, limad, uh, and it means to cause to learn. And you say, well, what's the difference between to teach and to cause to learn? Well, the, the idea is that you're not just passing repetitious instruction, right? We all learned our math tables probably, you know, you did that sort of rote, right? You just repeated your tables of nines until they embedded or whatever. I don't know. That's how I learned, I think, and still have a hard time, but... Uh, those are th ways you do it. But it's another thing to cause somebody to learn. I think all of us have had teachers in our life, um, and I'm talking in all areas of, of teaching that you've experienced, you've had teachers that caused you to learn. That you just went into their class and you wanted to learn something new today because of them. 
And then there were others probably, they just forced it into you and you wrote and you wrote and you wrote until you got the right answers, you gave it on a test, you got your mark, you left, and they really didn't influence you. And for the Christian, for the believer, for the Jew back there in Deuteronomy, it was the idea of causing the child to learn. That means you make a wholesome environment for learning. And you make that child want to learn, not just force them to learn. You can't force anybody to learn. There are things I wish I would have learned in my life, and, and I would have learned those if I just had a teacher that was like a teacher that wanted me to learn them. Would have made all the difference. We can be that. Teach them. In the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training or nurture, right, in the Old English, in the admonition of the Lord. That's that bent twig, right? He's shaping it, moving it while it's still supple. We're to do that. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Um, and by the way, some scriptures help with that. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. It's a warning. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to, his, to her who bore him. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Well, these are good things to learn, you know, as a, as a, as a son. And to learn those things, right? And to know them and to obey the, the Lord on those things. Proverbs 20, verse 11, Even a child is known by his deeds, whether he does what he does is pure and right. And that's true. Even a little toddler, you can see the bent in their direction in which they want to go and where they're headed. And often you, you see how parents influence them or someone in their life influences them for good or for bad in those years. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20. Okay, still changing on me. I'm glad. I got a little error message, so I wasn't sure if it was working. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. Wow. That's a promise from the Word of God. If you want, And that goes really with the Ten Commandments, because the only commandment with promise is honor your father and your mother, that your days may be what? Long. It's the only commandment with promise. Every, every other commandment doesn't have a promise attached to it. That's the only one. And you know, there's, sometimes it's not easy to honor your father or your mother. <laughs> Maybe they weren't all that great at fathering and mothering. But you know, I think for the believer, if we honor our parents, even I'm thinking I'm in a different stage of life now. I've got older parents, and Sandy's got older parents, and, and I'm thankful we still have them. And, you know, but there's always challenges that will come up as we age or my parents age or anybody and how are we going to honor them you know that's something important i think the best way to honor them is to follow the lord no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth right john says that second thing the bent twig children must be chastened they must be corrected and the book of proverbs in Chapter 22, verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now, this whole 
point in this topic is not a popular one. Because, like a lot of people tell you today, don't physically correct a child. Let the child, you know, you can put them in timeout or you can do those kind of things. And I, I will say carefully that I don't ever think a child should be physically abused. Ever. In other words, beaten to a point or anything like that. Uh, in that. But I do believe that a spank goes a long ways. And the Bible even talks about the rod of correction. And you may say, I never did that. I don't want to do that. I don't think that's right. Well, I just tell you what the Bible says. And the Bible does talk about the rod of correction. It doesn't mean like a great big beating rod. It was just a little switch. And I think there were people that mastered the switch. <laughs> and done right, it corrects a child. Thankfully, you don't always have to do that. And some children don't need that. Some children really will. You speak harshly to them and they stop. Some, some like me, it took a little bit more. My mother had a ruler and uh, it was a, a yardstick. And she kept that up on the fridge and I, I've said this before, but my brother and I, we would get fighting or doing something, and she would say, all right, boys, I'm going to get the stick if you keep it up. And I, I tell you, we could be in the middle of arguing and pushing each other, and I would hear that stick get picked up. I don't know how. It didn't make any noise, but we both knew. We would both stop what we were doing, and we like, well, let's run. And we would run, and she would get us, and a little swat on the back, and oh, it hurt right on the backside. I'm talking on the, on the backside of the rear end. And I'll tell you what, I can remember that, and I remember it. But you know what really hurt is when she said, your dad's going to hear about it. Oh, no. And dad didn't have to do anything when he got home. We just knew we were in trouble. And, and I'll say they did that in love. My parents, very much. And they, I probably deserved a lot more times like that that I didn't get. And they were very gracious. My mother was. I pushed her buttons a lot. And there were a lot of times she'd say, go outside and play on the railroad tracks. You know, <laughs> But I, I, she loved us and does love us. And, and I'm thankful for that. I'm very thankful for that rod of correction. The book of Proverbs says, The rod and rebuke give wisdom. Give wisdom. How in the world is a little stick, a yardstick or something like that, a swat on the butt, how does that provide wisdom? Because it reminds us that there's a, a thing we're doing that's wrong. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That's what's going to happen. Don't leave a child to raise themselves. Love them, correct them. And, and you don't, listen, I can tell you very, you don't really have to, if you do it right, I don't think you have to use the rod much at all. Proverbs 3.12, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. See, that's how God is. Sometimes God allows the little painful things to come into our life, and it's for our betterment. It's for our obedience. I wish it wasn't so, but it has to happen. And I'm talking personal experience. There are times God makes it very uncomfortable and sometimes painful when I choose to do something that is not right. I've made decisions before, sadly, where I've done something without praying over this, and I've just said, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. Thankfully, it wasn't anything devastating, but, but just things that made it very uncomfortable. I've shared that before times when after we were married i've learned this if your wife and you are not on the same page spiritually about something then just stop and pause don't do anything right and i remember we were living somewhere and we had to move out because it was in a parsonage we were living i was filling in at a church and they got a pastor i was just interim pastor 
And so we had to move out. And there was a little place that was for sale down the road. And we had driven by it. And it had been for sale for two years, I think, or so. And nobody had bought it. And so we said, well, let's approach the guy and see if he'll rent it. And we did. We approached him. And he said, yeah, well, you know, nobody's even come to see it or anything. But he said, if somebody does, um, you know, I'm going to sell it. That's my intention. And I said, well, I think we should move in there. And my wife wasn't so sure. She's like, well, maybe we should do something else or pray about it. And I'm thinking, no, this makes sense. I tick this box and this box and this box. And, and we got time here. And, you know, women, you've got to get in line, right? doesn't go that way. And I remember moving into that little place. And the guy had told us, he says, if somebody does want to buy it, you know, I'll give you 30 days. So we were moving our stuff in, all our stuff. And I were getting it moved in. I just had the phone hooked up and made, you know, that always costs money and all that kind of stuff. And the realtor came by and he says, I have somebody that's interested in the house. And I went, oh, no. But then I thought, well, they aren't, they aren't going to want to buy it, you know. Sure enough, they came in and they said, we want to buy it. So the day we were moving in or within that two or three days we were moving in, the house sold and we had 30 days to move out. And I can remember going back and saying, Lord, that was painful. And, you know, his answer was not some booming voice from heaven. It was from the scripture. It basically said, you should have listened to me first. But, Lord, I didn't ask you. Oh, yeah, that's, I didn't ask you. See, sometimes we do things in foolishness because we just don't ask the wisest one out there, which is the Lord. And I should have taken a clue from my wife. Her heart was not in it. She said, this is, something's not right about this. She had prayed about it. I didn't. Wow. Anyways, we need to be chastened sometimes. I better move along. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do not withhold correction from a child. And this is harsh. It says, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Now, the word to beat is not the idea of like pummeling somebody and begging bruises and all that stuff, but it's the idea of a sting of correction. And um, you no one dies from a spanking that is done right, is what he's saying, or whatever else. And I'm, again, listen, we're living in a world where that's becoming outlawed entirely because people abuse, and they don't know what they're doing. And they probably have throughout the years. And I'm saying that's a last resort, not a first resort to doing something. But be careful with that. Book of Proverbs says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Not allowing this to go on and on and on. Very important. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. So you don't want that. You don't want to see a child destroyed. But if you leave them to their own devices, that's what happens. The last thing is this, and if we do these things, simple things, teaching, that's really the most important, instructing them in the way of the Lord, families will be blessed. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Don't all of us want to be blessed? That's the greatest way to be blessed, is to have those who come behind you, whether they're your biological children or children you've influenced or friends you have or others that have been so influenced by your walk with the Lord that 
that they are they're blessed after us i think we should leave this world better than when we came in in regard to the people around us in other words if they go and do their own thing and people will we all have our own wills and sometimes children you can be raised in a christian home they can and they still can do their own thing and that's fully understandable but let us leave this world someday knowing that hey uh they heard they understood they saw you know and that's where we leave it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. These are all things that we ought to be thinking about. Um, I'm thankful for a dad that taught me to work hard. Uh, and, and he led by example there. And many of you have had those kind of parents and, and those that worked hard, moms and dads who did that. And listen, if I didn't want to work or something like that, my dad got on my case and said, hey, there's things to do. Get out there and do it. The wood box needs, needs to be filled. Uh, you know, the garden stuff needs to be picked and lawn needs to be mowed. And when I was old enough, he got me a job mowing other people's lawns. And then it just built from there. And I found over the years that work wasn't a chore. It was something to enjoy because it was done because we were really made to work, weren't we? But you won't find that if you just sit home and do nothing. And you wonder why so many people are unhappy today and they don't work. And sometimes work can be a chore and it can be hard and it always will be but there's a refreshment in that as well when we do those things <clears throat> sometimes it's understanding what the direction and the gifts and the and the abilities of our children i have four kids and every one of them has different gifts and abilities some overlap but Every one of them is a little different, and they, they show up in their child-rearing, you know, in our child-rearing years. I've seen each one have little, like, talents and gifts and things that they do and personality traits. And I am glad that, uh, and we've discovered this, that the things we did with one of them didn't work with the other one. Or sometimes the things we promoted with one wasn't something they were interested in, and the other one was. And we found those kind of things and didn't do it perfectly by any means and uh, failed miserably in some places. And yet, I'm thankful that as God showed us those things, he stirred those things up too. And praise the Lord for that. It's important that we do that. Uh, tonight we sang three hymns. We sang, and they were all Isaac Watts hymns. Now, Isaac Watts lived, uh, he was born in 1674 and he died in 1748, so... A long time ago, coming up on 400 years, right, that he was born. And when I think about that, uh, I say, Lord, you used a, a man like Isaac Watts to write music and hymns and lyrics and other things, and we're still singing them these years later. He wrote 750 hymns that were published in his lifetime. But it's interesting because his as a boy he was known as a precocious boy he was disobedient and he had this marvelous way of rhyming things and he would he would rhyme everything and his father was actually got really upset with him one day for rhyming just rhyming and it was he was being kind of smart alecky about it i guess would be the way to describe it 
So his father took him and was going to spank him and uh, tell him no more rhyming of things. And Isaac Watts uh, was said to have said, he said this to his father, Oh, father, do some pity take, and I will no more verses make. Probably didn't go well. But I will say this, that somewhere along the line, his father and his mother understood that this boy who was so precocious had a gift. And they encouraged that gift. And years later, he would become a minister. Um, he was known as a theologian, a logistician back then. He was known as uh, all kinds of, he had uh, a lover of many things. And he, he wrote poems and songs of the faith. He put the entire book of Psalms to meter. And those things would be sung in churches worldwide. And there, his songs have been translated in that. And I came across a song, and I want Julie, if she wouldn't mind coming back up, and we're going to do it to the, the music um, of Oh for a Thousand Tongues to sing. But I came across this song that Isaac Watts wrote, and it's really a song about the Proverbs. And it's about what we've been talking about tonight. And I've never heard a song. I went on YouTube. Nobody that on YouTube that I could find anyways has ever recorded it. But it's out there, and it's sung to the same music there, or the tune uh, was Asmund. And uh, that's, we're going to sing that, okay? I want you to help me. And we're going to sing it. It's four verses of it. Happy is he whose early years receive instructions well. The sinner's path and fears the road that leads to hell. Tis easier work if we begin to serve the Lord betimes, while sinners who grow old in sin are hardened by their crimes. It saves from Rama thousand snares to mind the Bible young. With joy it crowns succeeding years and makes our virtue strong. To thee, almighty God, to thee, our hearts we now resign. T'will please us to look back and see that Amen. And let's depart with that as our prayer tonight. Amen.